Um, so you know when, sometimes when we open up God's word and we read it, and there are days when we're sitting there and we just like, God, thank you. I understand everything that you've written in here. Your spirit has opened up my eyes. I can read it. Now would you give me the faith and the courage to apply what I've read? And on those days, it's awesome because you feel like, man, I've connected with God. And I am empowered to go into my day with the spirit of God inside of me. And then there are days where you open up the scriptures and you're like, what the heck did I just read? Like, I read it, and I reread it, and I reread it, and I still don't understand what it says. And those days can be frustrating. But whether you understand the Word of God every time that you open it up and you feel empowered, or whether you open it up and you feel discouraged, I want you to know that every time that we open up the Word of God, what God is wanting to do is He's wanting to show us His heart. God's Word is always going to reveal God's heart. Even when we don't understand what's going on, we may not always understand it. There may be times where we argue with it and we disagree with it and we fight with it. Um, There may be times where we feel challenged or encouraged by it. But whatever happens, God is always going to show us his heart when we open up his word. That's his desire. That's his intention. That's what he wants for us as brothers and sisters and followers of Christ. And of those who maybe even be picking up the scripture for the very first time who have nothing yet to do with Jesus, he wants to show you his heart. He wants to show you who he is and what he cares about. And he wants to invite us into that space to care about the things that he cares about too. And so this morning, one of the things or the thing that we're going to get to do is we're going to get to see the full heart of God on display. Anybody want to see the heart of God this morning? Okay. Yeah, let's try this again. Anybody want to see the heart of God on display in his word this morning? Okay, then. I'm glad you said yes this time because we're just going to pack it up and go home if that's not where we're at. Um, So open up Mark. Mark chapter 10 is where we're at this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 is where we're going to start. Somebody say amen when you get there. Woo, you're fast. You did Bible drills and you're little. Here's what Mark says. So they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the children of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get the opportunity um, to hear from you this morning. That's why we're here. Lord, I'm available to be used by you. Would you speak through me the things that I've planned to say? If they're not from you, just get them out of the way because we want to hear from you this morning. When we open up the truth, Father, you speak. And so um, would you allow your spirit to move amongst us? Would you teach us in your word? Would you help us to grow this morning? Would you give us roots that go deep? Would you give us fruit on the limbs of the tree of our faith if we're already rooted, God? Would you challenge us if we need to be challenged? Would you admonish us where we need to be admonished? Do what you want through your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read read this passage, this is one of the passages that just seems very clear to us, right? It seems very self-evident. When I read it, I understand it. um, I get it. And so we don't need to spend hours trying to explain the passage, Right? There are some things that we just get right off the bat. And so um, what we need to do is we need to read it, and then we need to listen to it, 
And then in our case this morning, I think we're just in a place where we need to respond to it. Uh, some of you might need, be in a place where you're just like, I just need to read it. I want to understand it for the first time. Some of you might be in a place where I've read it, and now I just need to listen to what's there. Lord, let that begin to soak into me. But for a lot of us, we're in that place like, I'm reading it. I'm just not doing anything with it. And so, Lord, would you allow me to respond to what's written in these pages or what's written in this section? So all I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to set the table, and I'm going to let God do the work in our hearts. Okay, you guys with me? So the scene that we just read here, it's, um, there are families, there are moms and dads who are coming to Jesus, and they're bringing their children. But there's something that's getting in the way, right? The disciples get in the way, and they begin to block these moms and dads and these children from getting to Jesus. And, and anybody in their right mind when you read this, you're, you're going to say, why on earth would anybody want to keep children from getting close to Jesus? Why on earth? It just doesn't make sense to us at all. And it doesn't make sense to us because kids today, they're viewed entirely differently than, were the, than they were in the, in the first century. And the reason that it's different now than it was in the first century is because Christianity has become a major influence throughout the world, especially here in um, the, uh, the Western culture. So in, in America now, because of the influence of Christianity, when we, when we hear about children or we read about children and we see children around us, the view of us is that they're not a burden. We look at our children and we say, man, these, these kids are a blessing. They may be small. They may not be able to add a lot to conversation. They may not be able to add anything tangible to us. But when we see children, we say, man, these are a blessing from God. We, we, we love these kids. They're incredibly important to us. Would you agree? Okay, yeah, there we go. But that's not always been the case. That's not always been the case at all. In the Roman culture, there was a practice called exposure. Are you guys familiar with uh, the term exposure in the context of kids? Um, in the, the Roman culture, um, it was okay um, if you did not like your child um, or if you never wanted to have a child to start with, but yet you were, um, I would say, blessed with the child, you could take that child and you can go out into the desert and you can leave him or her. You could take them out into the forest and you could leave him or her. You could take them anywhere away from you that you just didn't want to hear the child anymore, be around the child, and you can leave them. And what would happen is be the elements would begin to get to the child, the heat, the cold, animals. And that was okay in the time. And you and I, in this, in this space, we would say, man, that's not okay. That's a, that's a brutal way of parenting. That would be no parenting at all, actually. And that type of reality for children, it wasn't outlawed until 400 years or around 400 years, 375 years, actually, I think. Um, it wasn't outlawed until uh, 375 years after Jesus had died. And then the influence of Christianity began to expand throughout the Roman culture because um, there were some leadership changes because men and women of Christ became disciples of Jesus. And they began to go out and to make more disciples. And they began to go out and make more disciples. And as the influence of Christianity spread, they began to in infiltrate into different areas of the Roman government. And when that happened, the culture began to shift because men and women who loved the Lord were applying the truths of Scripture. Or they were applying the truths of their faith in the workplace, or they were applying the truths of faith within their cultural uh, circles. And so things began to change. But even within the families um, that were Jewish, children were cherished, um, and they were seen as a gift from God, um, but they still ranked pretty low in the society because the, the child really had nothing to offer. <laughs> Little Joey, right, that we love him, we care about him, but he's not leaving the house and going out with his briefcase to make money to come back and feed the family. 
Like, he's not doing that. Little Joey is not going and standing in the front door and becoming the first line of defense when somebody wants to come in and rob the house. Like, he's not doing, he's not doing that. Can you imagine little Joey, like, standing in the front door like a little rattle? Like, come on, don't come in and get my stuff. He's not doing anything tangible for the family. And so we love him. He's cute. He does cute baby stuff. He gurgles and he plays and he laughs and we hold him and we love holding him. Um, but although he's a cherished human being, he's more of a chore for us to take care of. We got to figure out what to do um, with him. So we love you. You're a gift to us, but you're still pretty insignificant in the family. And now you have in this setting, you have moms and dads who they've heard about Jesus um, word about Jesus has begun to spread like wildfire throughout the villages, and, and people are wondering, is this the Messiah? They're whispering around in the communities. Is this the one that we've been waiting for? Is, is this the guy who's going to sit on the throne and overthrow the Roman government? And so they're lining up, and they're gathering outside of where Jesus is hanging out, and they're just begging that Jesus might be able to put his hands on them and bless them if he is the one. And so they're hoping that he is. And so here in this setting, you have families that are looking to Jesus for a blessing. But in the same context, you've got disciples who are looking at these families and these children. And all they see is a burden for Jesus. Families are looking for a blessing. The disciples see a burden for Jesus. Now, we've got to remember that right now the people thought that the Messiah, he was going to come. And he was going to be this conquering king who was going to sit on his throne. That he was going to be royal. He was going to be dignified. It was going to be a conquering king that everybody could see. He's going to come in riding on a, uh, a tall stallion and a horse. And everybody was going to know, this is the one. And the reality is, kings don't have time to deal with messy people. Kings don't have time to deal with powerless people. They especially don't have time to mess with any kind of children and deal with that because they're off there doing kingly stuff, right? They're doing like war strategy and making sure that they can expand their territory and, and, and influence the, the rest of the world by the culture that they're creating. This is what kings do. Kings don't have time to mess with children. And the disciples here, they're not any different. They've been following Jesus around. They've been hanging out for him for a while, but they're still not getting it yet. He, he's In their minds, in any minute, he's just going to kind of be like, poof, and ta-da, here I am, king of the world. I'm here to change everything. I think he's going to overthrow the Roman government in any moment. They had no idea that his kingdom was way different than this. Oh, his kingdom was going to be Ta-da! Here I am. I'm here to change the world. But it wasn't yet. It wasn't now. And the kingdom he's building is a spiritual kingdom that one day is going to have rule and reign over the earth. But they were expecting that right now. But right now, his kingdom involves the weak, the powerless, the children, all of us who bring nothing to the table. Every single one of us. And so Mark says that parents were bringing their children to Jesus but the disciples, do you see the word there in your Bibles? What did the disciples do? They rebuked them. They rebuked the families. They rebuked the children. And can we just talk about what that, what that looked like for a second? The word rebuke here, it's been used a couple times already in Mark. We've seen it. Remember when he was uh, uh, talking, when Jesus was calling the demons out of people? He was going into communities, and they were, they were demon-possessed men, and that Jesus would go in, and he would speak, and the, the demons would come out. You guys remember that when we, when we got there? Uh, you, you guys remember when Jesus, um, uh, when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was there sleeping and he was just kind of taking a nap and the water starts to go crazy and they're freaking out. Jesus, what are you going to do? Or you don't care about us? And then he shows up and he speaks to the water. What does the water do? It calms down. 
You guys remember that? You remember when he was talking to Peter just not too long ago when we were in Mark chapter 9, and, 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 and he rebukes Peter. Peter begins to pipe up, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You guys remember that? In every one of those instances, the same words used. Jesus rebuked the demon. He rebuked the sea, and he rebuked Peter. It's the same word here that the disciples are doing with everybody who's coming. It's a strong word, and it's got authority. And these 12 disciples, as moms and dads are coming with their kids to be with Jesus, what they're doing is they're standing as gatekeepers. Jesus is over here. The crowd and the kids are over here, and they're standing in the middle and saying, Stay back! Don't get close to Jesus. Don't come near. And he's, they're yelling at them. He doesn't have time for you. You imagine that as a mom and a dad trying to get your kids to Jesus to be blessed by them? And some of y'all, when you go to Disney, you're ready to cut people when you're waiting in line to, to see Mickey Mouse, right? Like, don't get, it, don't get in the way of me seeing Mickey, right? Don't get in the way. Like, you're ready to take people out. Imagine trying to get your kids to Jesus. And you can't get to him because somebody's saying you can't get close to him. What a scenario. When we read this, we've got to think about bodyguards. This is what bodyguards do, right? They stand between people who don't have access. People who don't have access, who want to gain access to somebody who requires access to get close to. That's what bodyguards do. They stand in the way between that gap. I remember when I was living in Ohio uh, a long time ago, and uh, I went to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic. Any, anybody familiar with the Arnold Classic? I bet right there, I bet you guys are a couple, a couple people. Yeah, there's Arnold. Look at that guy. Sheesh. Yeah, there's probably some steroids in there somewhere, I'd guess. But the Arnold Classic was this showcase of all these bodybuilders who were showing up in Columbus, Ohio to show off what they have, right? To show off their bodies. I was not there as a participant, okay? <laughs> probably doesn't need to be said. I get it, right? But I was there to hang out with some of my friends who cared about that stuff. And now Arnold, he was there. He was there. And the people who were participating in the competition, the bodybuilders, they had access to Arnold. Any, anybody who was there um, to, uh, to compete, they could talk to him. They could be, he was in back in the green room, all that kind of stuff. They were, they were hanging out together. Now, not everybody had access to Arnold, okay? Um, I remember walking through this arena. You're going from booth to booth, seeing all the creatine and uh, all the other stuff that jacks you up and just makes you big. And uh, all the people who were selling that stuff. And then there's hundreds and probably thousands of people. I mean, a huge crowd. And all of a sudden, there's this murmur going on throughout the crowd. It's like, and it just, gets, it just keeps getting louder. And then all, all of a sudden, like, people start pushing people out of the way. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, Arnold was beginning to come through the crowd. And people who didn't have access to Arnold were trying to gain access to Arnold, but they couldn't get access to Arnold because there were bodyguards who were pushing them out of the way. And so all of a sudden, you see this crowd begin to split. And I've never seen the Red Sea split, guys, but I can imagine it was something like this with a little bit more thunder and lightning, okay? All of a sudden, thousands of people begin to split, and it is a huge, wide-open gap that's running. And here comes the bodyguards in Arnold walking down the way, and the bodyguards, move out of the way! Get out of the way! They didn't say you don't have access, but in my mind, they're saying, you don't have access! You can't get close to him. The people wanted to get close to Arnold, but they couldn't get access to him because these bodyguards are there. And that's what the disciples are doing right now. They're acting like bodyguards, and they're there. They're thinking that they, um, that they should be doing this. They, they actually think that they're doing a good thing in their mind. What they're doing is that they are guarding Jesus, right? They're helping, him to, they're helping Jesus to prioritize his life, 
They're saying these people are important and these people are not. Don't allow these children to get close to Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus never asked them to be gatekeepers of people. Feel that for a second. Jesus never asked these disciples to be gatekeepers of who can come and who can't come. Jesus said, follow me. And they followed. Jesus didn't say, follow me, and then you decide who can follow me after that. That wasn't part of their job description. He, was just, he said, follow me, I'm going to handle the rest. And when Jesus sees what's going down here, he gets irate and furious. The word Mark uses here is actually indignant. Jesus becomes indignant. Are they moms and dads kind of somewhere on the border between, man, I care about my kids, but I'll go crazy for my kids? Anybody, anybody riding that gap? Of like, like you, you, you get in the way. I care about my kids. If you get in the way and you try to hurt my kids, I will cut you before you get the opportunity. And anybody ride that line between I care and I'm just about to go crazy? Bunch of liars. Bunch. I've seen some of you in the store. Jesus sees what's going down here. And he instantly goes into, I'll take you down if I need to mode. Because what he sees is he sees there are people that are hurting his children. Even the people who have been close to him, they're hurting his children. Kids are being hurt. They're being kept away from Jesus. And Mark says he becomes indignant. I want you to follow me on this because words matter. Words make a difference. And this isn't tedious stuff. Like this is, this is things, these are things that make a difference. Um, the word indignant here, it, it means angry. It means displeased. It means upset. And even more so in the context here, it means becoming irate and then letting people know that you're irate here. Um, It's just on the edge of being controlled and being crazy, okay? Now, we know Jesus isn't crazy. This is a metaphor. But this is just on the edge of, like, I'm about to lose my mind because of what I'm seeing here, okay? And so if Jesus is, is mad in the context here, we should, as a congregation and as a reader of the scriptures, we should wonder, what is Jesus mad about, right? So let me just kind of ask that together. Would you say that with me on a count of three? What's Jesus mad about? One, two, three. What's Jesus mad about? Okay, five of you want to know. Here's the deal. This is what Jesus is mad about. Okay, remember, let's think about scripture. Peter denied Jesus. Y'all remember that? Scripture never says that Jesus became indignant at Peter. Actually, we see that Jesus forgave Peter. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. And Scripture never tells us that Jesus became irate or indignant with Judas. Actually, Judas got to eat at the table before they went to the garden. Scripture never says when Jesus was hanging on the cross that he became irate and indignant with the people who were yelling crucify him. It actually shows us a little bit later after that scene that he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These are instances where if anybody was going to be indignant and irate, isn't this a place that you would expect to see it? But it's not. That's not where we see it. If any one of us were there, I'm guessing we'd have a few things to say to Peter and Judas. Probably had a few things to say to the crowd he was yelling crucify him too. I'm guessing we might become a little bit indignant. But Jesus didn't. He didn't. The only time that the Bible tells us that Jesus became indignant is right here. In this context, when the disciples were keeping children away from him. Why is that? Remember, when we open up the scriptures, we get to, whatever else is going on, we get to see the heart of God. We get to see his character. We get to see his nature. 
we get to see the things that he cares about. And right now we're getting to see the heart of God on full display. And right here, we get to see his heart for children. And let me tell you this. Jesus doesn't just have a soft spot for children. Children have all of his heart. He has a whole heart for children. He says, don't you dare get in the way of these children come to me. Don't you even think about stopping them. If, if you want to see the part of me that makes your heart quiver inside your chest, Get in the way of me coming to children or coming, children coming to me because you're going to see the righteous anger side of me that is just absolutely terrifying. So if you want to see that come out, stand between me and my children. Earlier he says in, in Mark chapter 9, and we see the severity of how deeply Jesus cares about kids. He says, if anyone was to harm any one of these children, if you were to cause them to sin, if you were to do something in their life, it would be better for you if you had a millstone hung around your neck, and tossed into the sea. <laughs> Scripture is so vivid, and it's so real. It says, this is how much I care about children. So don't even think about stopping these kids. Can you imagine the disciples here? Jesus is confronting them. There's so many of these moments where the disciples are just kind of like, they do their thing, and, and Jesus just comes to them and says, no, that's not how it's going to be done. And they're like, well, um, well okay, well, we thought kind of maybe. And then this is another one of those uh, spectacular moments where Jesus is speaking to them, and I can just imagine they're looking down at the ground. Like, they don't want to see Jesus. Like, he's speaking to them, and he's correcting them. Anybody ever been in a position like that? You know you're being corrected by the Lord, and he's doing it through somebody else, and you're just like, I don't even want to look at you right now. I know what you're saying is right. But I don't want to look at you. That's what the disciples are at right now. Because they thought they were helping. They thought that they were helping. But they didn't understand how much Jesus cared about children. They had forgotten. They probably knew. But they had forgotten. And generation after generation after generation in the Jewish community, they had forgotten the heart of God for children. Why don't you open your Bibles again if you close them and look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll be there real um, quick. We won't be there long. Um, but I think this is important, and it lets us see a little bit more of the heart of God here. Now, Israel is getting ready to go into a land called the Promised Land, uh, a land that they're looking forward to. It's going to be a blessing for them. Um, but before they go in, they need to know that the, the context that they're going into, it is biblically corrupt. It is theologically bankrupt. Um, it's spiritually a train wreck uh, when they go in. And so before they go in, they, uh, God has a conversation with them through, through Moses. They need to know how they're going to follow him as they get into uh, this new space. So he gives them a, a lot of rules to live by that, to help them govern the space, not to burden them, but to know him and to, to safeguard them. And one of those is all about children. So I want you to meet me in Deuteronomy 6 here in uh, verse 4. Here's what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with, of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your, on, on, on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Do you know what God was saying to the men and women who were called by him to follow him? He was, he was saying that you, you're... Your whole life is to be wrapped up in me. 
You don't get to have a la carte faith where you can give me this area of your life and you can take this area of life and I can have this area. He was saying, all of you belongs to me, even down to your children. And so if you want to walk with me, you have a job to do as a mom and a dad to train up your children to love me, to follow me, to know me. And generation after generation after generation will know who I am and how I love my children and how I love my family and the world might be different than what we see right now. So if you want to make a generational change, don't stop having generational faith. If you want to make a difference in the world, train up your children to love the Lord and send them out as darts and arrows into the world. Says, train them up. Don't just give them sports. Don't just give them gadgets. Don't just give them um, knowledge. But you train them to see what it looks like to follow after Jesus. What does that look like? Well, dads, that looks like you following Jesus. What does that look like, mom? That looks like you following Jesus. What does that look like, um, young, young person? What does that look like, grandma or grandpa? That looks like you following Jesus so that next generation knows what it's like to follow and to have faith. Jesus said, don't keep the children from coming to me. Pass this down. And, and, and the word that Jesus uses for children here, it's in the realm of the infant age to 12 years old, right? These are very formative years. From the time that a child is born to throughout their adolescence, this is what Jesus is talking about. Now, we know that those are formative years for our kids. Those are very important years. And we know study after study has been done about the development of the mind and the emotion and the psyche uh, when it comes, to, uh, the when it comes to the human race, right? We've got a lot of educators in here. We've got a lot of people who are social workers who have worked with kids and have worked with adults who have been kids. And some of these things have adjusted in them as, as they've grown. And so study after study is going to tell us that this time period um, is important for learning how to trust. This is an important time period for us to learn what our core identity is, that we're made in the image of God. And he's created us in a way to love him. Um, it's a formative time where we begin to produce core feelings and we understand what love is and we understand how to um, behave um, and not just for people-pleasing, but we understand what is right and what is wrong. These are important years in the life of, of a child. And Jesus is saying, don't keep these infants to 12-year-olds from coming to me because they are being formed right now in their worldview. They're being formed right now in who God is. Don't keep them from coming to me. It's so important for our young people not to be hindered in any way from coming to Jesus in these early years and for parents and adults to actively be involved, to intentionally be involved, to invest in children. Why? Because these early years matter. Consistent involvement, consistent investment, it matters in these early years. So look at verse 14 again. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Huh, what does that mean? Like, to receive the kingdom of God, like a child, like I've already grown, I'm an adult, I've matured. I don't want to go backwards. What does it mean to, to come in like a child? What Jesus was doing is he was using children as an example. His love for children was on, on full display here, and he was using them. Children are a great picture of what it really looks like to follow. Children are a great picture of what true discipleship looks like. Now, we know kids aren't perfect. They, they mess up, right? They're, they're, anybody's kids mess up? 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I had a seminary professor, one of, one of my favorite professors, professors. He's talking about his grandkids one day in class. And uh, they, they, they were little, and um, he said, man, my grandkids are awesome. I love playing with them. They're beautiful, but they're beautiful little pagans. <laughs> I said, he said, what? I said, they're, they're beautiful little pagans. And what that meant was until they know Jesus, they're walking in the darkness, even as children. <laughs> Somebody like, oh, my children, my children aren't dark. No, they need Jesus. There's a point in their life where they're going to trust. We've got a young family who just said, I want to invest in my children. I want to invest in him to know who Jesus is. There's going to be a day where little court grows up and he's going to have to make a decision for Jesus. He's going to have to learn to follow Jesus on his own. That, that's what's going on here. We know that kids aren't perfect, but Jesus chooses to show and to work through them. And so uh, any mom and dad in here would agree that our kids can get rowdy and they can be a pain and they can cause havoc. They're beautiful, but they can be a pain in the rear, right? Like who's been, who's been trying to, <laughs> you're like, no, my kids aren't. No, a helicopter, okay? I can't tell you how many times I try to get out of the house and somebody poops in their pants. Not my older ones, my younger, okay? And you're already on a time schedule and you're trying to get out the door and you're like, are you kidding me? I, we were barely gonna make it anyway. And so you go in to change and then another one is like, I forgot my shoes. Like, how'd you get to the car without shoes? And then just like you're in there and you're changing a diaper, you got a kid, and then somebody throws a Lego at you. You're like, what the heck is going on? Everything is falling apart. We know that kids aren't perfect, right? We know that kids mess up. But at the end of the day, don't we love our kids? They're wonderful. They are a gift from God. And here's the thing, they love without reserve. Jesus wasn't saying that kids are perfect. He was saying they're not perfect, but they come to me with perfect love. They come to me and this, what you see is what you get. They're not trying to fool anyone. They just come as they are. There's no hesitation. There, there, there's no inhibition. They trust completely. They haven't lived long enough to be jaded by the world. Like we see the garbage of this world. Our kids haven't seen that yet because we're trying to protect them from, from those things. And, and so they love, they run in at full speed. They just jump in head first, not even thinking about trying to earn a hug from Jesus. Not even thinking about trying to earn a blessing from Jesus. Not even thinking about what do I have to do in order to be embraced by this man over here who loves me in Jesus. And they just run in head first. They are uh, open-armed and empty-handed. They don't have anything to give. They've got nothing tangible to offer. They're just themselves. Helpless, messy, in need of care constantly, constantly. And what Jesus says is, I want you to come to me like this. You can leave your money at the door. You can leave your resume of all your good stuff at the door. I don't care that you went to Sunday school every day of your life. It's like you can leave that all at the door. What I want you to do is I want you to run to me like a child. I want you to come open-armed and empty-handed. Open-armed and empty-handed. Bring your messy life. Bring, bring the messy hands. Bring the dirty hands. Bring all that to me. Unless you run to me like a child, says we're missing it. We're, we're absolutely missing it. And so moms and dads and men and women, like you know, like the stats for our generation, it's not going well, right? It's, it's not going well at all. Depression is on the rise. Adolescent suicide, consequently, is on the rise. And the sense that there's just no hope left in the world 
It's on the rise. You see hopelessness in the eyes of children all over the place. We're, we are living right now in a society that has passed down everything. We've passed down everything except the one thing that needs to be passed down. We're not passing down Jesus. We're not passing down a generational faith that goes from generation to generation to generation. I don't know where we've taken our hands off the deal, um, but it seems like we've taken our hands off and we don't know what to do because things have become chaotic. There are a lot of people who are standing in the way and they're rebuking kids from coming to Jesus. They're rebuking families from coming to Jesus. There are a lot of things that are standing as gatekeepers. And Jesus, guys, he's become indignant. He's on the edge of controlled and I'm about to lose it. He's become indignant. And here's the good news. The stuff that is uh, causing depression, the stuff that is leading us away and making people feel helpless is not irreversible, right? Like we, we don't like throw, throw in their hat and say, well, uh, we're hands off and this thing. It's not irreversible. Um, we're not up the creek without a paddle. We know what to do, don't we? We know what to do. It just takes time. It just takes intentionality. It takes us investing in, in children. So what I want to do is I want to challenge you to be men and women who become beacons of hope for our kids, that you're becoming beacons of hope who are stepping into the mess and saying, you know what? My life is going to be committed to seeing our children grow up to know Jesus. Listen to me, mom and dad. That is your job. You know the, you know the things like they had one job and they blew it? This is our thing. We have one job to do, and it's to raise up our children to know and to love Jesus. Now, they're going to, they're going to make their decision at some point, but our job as parents is to be faithful with what God has given us. You have a boy, you have a girl, you have a family, you raise them up to love Jesus. Be faithful with that. It doesn't matter what else is going around around you. You be faithful, and you lead your children to Jesus, or you grow them up in Jesus, and they'll make a decision at some point. Grandma, Grandpa, your hands aren't done right? Like, like, it's not like I, I lived 70 years and I've been faithful and you know, 40 years and Lord, I'm, just take me home now. Like you still have a job. If there are kids around you, your job is to invest in those kids. Another generation, like God didn't bring you into the house and clean you up and love you and give his spirit inside of you to say 40 years and I'm done. He's given you deep roots so that fruit can grow from those roots. And so don't stop investing in children just because yours are out the door. Find a way to invest in children because they need you. It matters. It matters. This is the heart of Jesus. This is his heart for children. It's on full display. Guys, I've realized over the last couple of months is that time is limited, man. Time is limited. I've got a few kids in the house. We've got another one coming, which is crazy to me. She's going to be here in March. Um, and... We've been doing a lot of thinking, and, and I've realized that I've literally, I've got a handful of years left with my oldest. I've got five years left with my oldest child. When we had her, I thought I had eternity with her. Right now, I'm realizing in five years, she's going to be out the door whatever, with whatever God has put on her heart to pursue. She's going to be gone. And then I got a few more that I got to get ready to launch out, out the door. But the time that I have left... I want to make the most out of it. You guys still have time with your kids. 
You have time with your grandkids. You've got people around you. You have time. Uh, I love when Maris and I, like, we'll sit down and we'll, and we'll hang out with young families who are uh, dedicating their children or getting ready to dedicate their children. And she always uses this quote, and I love this quote by Reggie Joyner. Here's what he says. He says, when you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time that you have now. We have time left, but it's not long, okay? So I want to invite you to do a lot with the time that you have left. Don't, don't give up personally. God, I mean, we gotta pour into our kids, we gotta pour into our grandkids, we gotta pour into the, the lives of the people around us. And here in, in Ashland, in your families, pour it out, man. Love on children. They need you to love on them. They need to hear about the hope that they have in Jesus. Don't give up on them corporately. Man, as a church, we wanna change this community for, for Jesus. We, we want to invest in the lives of kids. We need people in student life. We need people in kids' life, people who want to say, man, I want to walk along these kids when it gets hard and they're acting like they don't like me and they're acting like they're too cool to be around. When it gets hard, like, I'm not going to let go of their hand. I'm going to walk them through this stuff. I'm going to walk them through the challenging things. I'm not going to give up on you. They need men and women like you who are going to say, I'm full in. I'm full sin, man. Let's do this. So let me encourage you. One of the things that uh, they said at the conference that we were at, um, this was the theme, and I just loved it. They said, uh, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Hope has a name. We're not living in a, a society of hopelessness. We have men and women who are acting like things are hopeless. We have kids who are living and struggling trying to figure out, do I still have hope? Is there any future for me? And there is hope in his name in Jesus. And it's our job, our job. Guys, nobody else is doing this. This is for us to raise up men and women who are gonna, our kids who are gonna love Jesus. So let me challenge you. It's not something that we have to do. This is something that we get to do as growing and maturing brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if you're not pouring into a kid, why not? Why not? Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, it's just interesting sometimes the things that you put in my mind to say. Um, I love your word. I love Jesus. I love your church. I love kids. It's so hard sometimes. But Father, would you give us the courage and the audacity to read your word, to listen to it, and to respond to it, to respond by letting this world know that there is hope in the name of Jesus, and that we'd invite kids into that, that we wouldn't run away because it's messy and it takes time, but that we would fully invest and watch a generation come to know Jesus and have hope again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.